Thanks so much, Sarah. It was so fun getting to spend the summer with Sarah and many other students. Sarah did a lot more than just roll out pretzel dough. Uh, it was fun. I saw her often just diving into the Word and studying the Scriptures. And so many times throughout the summer, I talked with other students on the summer mission there, and they said they got to partner up with Sarah to go have spiritual conversations. They'd come back and they'd say, Sarah's so good at engaging others and talking about Jesus. She's so kind and wise. You should go out with her. They would encourage other people. So thanks, Sarah, for being a great model. Um, and I think it's a great model, just thinking not just Sarah, but students from Summer Mission, and hopefully you, of the series that we're heading into. It's a series called All In. And it's actually coming out of the call that God gives us at the end of Matthew. At the end of Matthew, in the, uh, chapter 28, God calls us to become followers of Jesus and to go throughout the world to share the gospel and make other followers of Christ. Actually, this series, you could say, started last week. I don't know how many of you got to be here to hear from the traveling team. They're awesome and amazing, talking about God's heart for the world. But I know for us, it can sometimes be a challenge to be all in, right? That call from God is for us to be 100% committed to following after Christ and to sharing about Christ with others. But being all in can feel intimidating. We like to keep our options open, right? We want to just try things out. The idea of being fully committed can be a little overwhelming. But that's what this series is about. It's about helping you and I be all in in our walk with Christ and our willingness to go wherever he calls us to. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Um, I'm excited that you're here. Even with the long weekend, you've made it. Hopefully you get a lot of fun things going on. Um, and I don't know about you, but this time of the year is just awesome, right? I saw some of you got the memo. It's fall. It's time for flannels. It's time for pumpkin spice lattes. Who's already had one? Lots of you, right? I don't personally love them, but don't hold that against me. Uh, it's time for cider. Time for pumpkins. And if you're one of the kids from my high school where I grew up, it's harvest time. Um... This would make more sense if I described to you my drive to school most days started with me at my house, then I would drive and I would see this, and then I would drive a little bit more and see this, and then I'd drive a little bit more and uh, see that, right? So I grew up with acres and acres of farm and crops around me. In my high school, it was not known for very much. We were not good at sports at all. Our mascot was a baron, which is lame. It is terrible. Uh, most people don't know what a baron is, and then if you look it up, it is not actually intimidating or inspiring at all. And our colors were like the worst colors you could ever choose. We were brown and gold, which really was like brown and yellow which if you're a middle schooler, an immature high schooler, or probably some guys that are still in my Bible study, and me at times still be immature, you would call it poop and pee. And so that was my high school. But there was one thing that we were kind of were known for that can maybe get you in the paper, and that was every year we would have a drive your tractor to school day. Did anybody else have one of these? Wow, all right, you know what I'm talking about. Now, I didn't grow up on a farm myself. I grew up across from one, so I didn't have a sweet ride to roll up in. 
uh, whatever those are, 10-foot wheels. I didn't have one of those. But a lot of friends and people that I knew would roll in once a year with their tractors and get their pictures taken. We had a lot of farmers at our school. Even some would like miss days, maybe even a week of school to help out on the farm. And as you look out upon these acres and acres and acres, it makes sense. This is the moment that all their work has been leading up to. But imagine you're there with your high school friend who's grown up on the farm, whose parents has owned the farm, whose grandparents have owned the farm, and he looks out and he's like, ah, I'm just not going to harvest this year. Like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't really think there's even that much crop out there. I don't think it's worth the effort. And honestly, I just don't feel like it, so I'm not going to go. That would make no sense at all. That would never happen. This is the most important moment of the year. Everything's been leading up to this. No good farmer would leave the harvest. But what is unconscionable for a farmer is actually really common for us as followers of Christ. Because as we look at the passage we're going to look at tonight, Jesus looks at the world and he says, the entire world is like a harvest. Not of corn, but there's millions and maybe even billions of people that don't know Jesus. And if we had eyes to see, we would see them as a harvest. Millions and billions of people who don't know Christ, who don't know God's love, but who are waiting to hear the message of Jesus. And if someone would share it with them, they might believe and receive eternal life. And Jesus calls us to be workers in this harvest. There's so much to do. And there's, there's so few to do it. I mean, I myself, and maybe you, when it comes to thinking about following Christ, and especially about telling others about Christ, we can feel really inadequate. We can feel intimidated. We can feel fearful. But my hope is, as we look at the pa a passage in Matthew 9 tonight, as we look at this passage, we're going to have Jesus give us eyes to see the way that he sees. Give us a heart to feel the way that he feels. And give us a motivation to go as Jesus goes. Because those are the three things that I think keep you and I from being fully all in committed followers of Christ. As we don't see as Jesus sees, we don't feel as Jesus feels, and we don't go as Jesus goes. So if you have your Bible... Turn with me to Matthew 9. We're going to look at just a pretty short verse. I have it up here on the screen. I'm going to read it for us here. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. It says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is a really short but incredibly powerful passage, and we're going to get a few things out of it as we look at it tonight. The first thing I want us to notice is just some of what's happening. You have Jesus bursting onto the scene, and it says he's going from town to town to town, proclaiming the message of the kingdom of God. That God has arrived in Jesus. And you see Jesus healing people. 
He's restoring them. Jesus is making the world back into the way that it's supposed to be. And there's people around him all the time. It's like there's paparazzi every moment, every town he goes in, people are smashed, pushing around him. Even after a long, tired day, he's been hard at work, crowd after crowd after crowd. Now, I've never experienced this, but I have four kids, and that means when I'm at my house, it feels like there's a crowd around me. There's often two to three of them within a one-foot vicinity, all asking for multiple things for some reason, grabbing at my leg. The disciples even saw this more with Jesus. Jesus feeds 4,000. There's crowds lining the streets to be healed by him. Children love being around him. But just as I can kind of get a little annoyed at times, I love my kids, but I can just be like, get away, give me some space. The disciples felt that way with all these crowds pressing around Jesus pretty often. When Jesus feeds the 4,000, the disciples say, Jesus, send them home. We don't have food to feed them. Get them out of here. They're a problem. I don't know what to do with them. Get them out of here. When the crowds come by, they're trying to clear ways for Jesus to get through. When children come to be around Jesus, they shoo them away. See, the disciples, like me, can often see the people around us as hindrances, as frustrations, as things of people that are in our way from us trying to do what we want to do. But notice how Jesus sees the people in this passage. He doesn't see them as frustrations, as hindrances. Instead, Jesus sees to the depths and the core of who they are. In verse 36, it says, Jesus, when he sees the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus sees people, he sees them to the depths of their being. He sees their deepest spiritual needs. And he says two things about all of us outside of Christ. He says they're harassed and they're helpless. Those are intense words. Harassed. That's someone that is really being oppressed. Someone that's being used, being abused, being tormented. And when Jesus looks at you and I outside of his love and grace, he sees that's what's happening to our souls. That though things might be okay on the outside, at the core of who we are, there's habits and there's patterns, and there's things that just feel like they torment us. And we wish we could get rid of them, but the second word comes in. It says they're helpless. There's absolutely nothing they can ultimately do about it on their own. I felt this way. I mean, my freshman year down here, if you would have met me, things would look fine, right? I was having fun, I had friends. I did okay in class. I had things to do. But at the core of who I was, there was habits and patterns of thought that were just leading me farther and farther down a path that I didn't, shouldn't have been on. Obsessions that were in my heart and my mind. Actions that have continued on would lead me to really, really dangerous places. 
But none of my friends would ever see that in me. They saw the outside, which looked fine. But my freshman year, Jesus looked into the depths of my heart and entered my life. I wonder for you and I, question maybe for you, when you look at people next to you, people in your dorm, in your class, or in your family, how do you see them? Do you see them as just fine? Yeah, they're pretty good. Or are you able to peer like Jesus does into them and see the pain and the suffering and the lostness that they have outside of Christ? And if you're outside of Christ, I've been there. And I bet if you take some moments, you would admit too, you feel those things at times. So the question is, do you see what Jesus sees? The second thing I notice about Jesus is how he feels. It says he sees the crowds, harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, and he has compassion for them. Oh man, if we had time, I'd have you sit here and make a huge list of how you would try to define that word compassion. It is a powerful word. And it's just as powerful in the original language. Because compassion is more than just sympathy. It's more than just sadness, right? We can be sad about something. We can feel bad for someone. But compassion has a power to it. Compassion is visceral. It compels us to action. And really, in the original language, the word compassion has to do with your bowels, with the center of who you are, that you feel it. That's what compassion is, right? Like, have you ever, I, I don't I feel bad even bringing up this example, but have you ever seen a dog that's been hit, kind of wandering away, that's injured, and you feel so bad? You want to do something, right? You're just like, oh, that's sad. It, you have a feeling down in here that you want to go help. Or have you ever seen a helpless child? I mean, I could tell stories. My wife and I lived for a year in South Asia, and we saw some of the most intense human suffering imaginable. Kids with no food, no families. Places where those kids were then entrapped into sexual slavery and abused on a nightly basis. And you can't see that and just say, well, I'm kind of sad about that. It does something inside of you that compels you to action. When Jesus sees the crowds, that's what he feels. Is that what you feel when you see people around you that don't know Christ? If I'm honest, sometimes I just have a numbness. It's like, yeah, everybody's got their stuff. They'll figure it out. Yeah, maybe they'll find Jesus someday. That'd be great. But I don't think it'll happen right now. We just kind of have a hardness, a numbness, a non-feeling towards people in our lives. But because Jesus sees the way he sees, he has compassion that moves him. So the second question is, do you feel the way that Jesus feels? The third thing I notice about Jesus is Jesus goes. See, at the end, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. When Jesus looks at the world, he sees this. He sees thousands and thousands and thousands of people that need, the know, need to know the love 
and grace and goodness and mercy and peace with God. And Jesus so knows us, knows our need, feels and cares for us that Jesus goes to the harvest. We see it all throughout the Bible that Jesus says, I'm going to a new place to tell people I've not heard about me. I'm going to a new city. I'm going to a new town. But it's not just across some borders that Jesus goes. Jesus, the Son of God, who sat in eternal glory with the Father, having everything he would ever need, having never experienced any suffering, not just crosses a room, but crosses from heaven to earth for you and I. Because he knows the harvest. And not only does he come to earth as a man and feels things that the God of the universe should never need to go through, the God of the universe should never experience hunger, thirst, pain, suffering. And yet Jesus not only comes here, he goes to the cross. He dies for you and I that our sin would be forgiven and that you and I could be in a relationship with God. Jesus goes. Now he calls you and I to go. He calls you and I, he says, we're to be laborers in the harvest. The question is, do you go when God calls you to go? Jesus went from heaven to earth. Do you go across the room to engage with someone who might not know Christ? Would you go across the country to do that if God called you? What if God called you to go across the world. If you were to say there's a harvest, there's a harvest in Slovakia, there's a harvest in Asia, there's a harvest somewhere, and he sends you, would you go? If you're like me, when you're asked, do I feel like, do I see like Jesus sees, do I feel like Jesus feels, do I go as Jesus goes, a lot of us would say, I don't think I'm all in. <laughs> but notice what Jesus tells us to do. He doesn't look at the harvest and say, all right, the harvest is plentiful. He doesn't just tell us to go. Notice from the passage, what does Jesus tell us to do? He says, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Pray. If I had a harvest that needed kind of harvested, however all that works, I would call all my friends together. Say, let's get to work. But Jesus calls you and I to pray. I think it's really interesting. Here's why I think Jesus calls you and I to pray. Because unless we see how Jesus sees and feel how Jesus feels, we will never go as Jesus goes. And the only way we begin, can begin to see and begin to feel the way that Jesus wants us to see and feel is that we begin praying. Because it's actually in prayer for the people around us and for the people in the world that don't know Christ, that we will begin to develop spiritual eyes. We'll develop a, a heart like Jesus. So I love that Jesus knows you and I so well. that He says, let's start right here. You may not be able to go across the world tomorrow, but Jesus says, tonight, you can go across the world in your prayer. You begin praying for people across the world that don't know Christ. You can begin praying for people across the room or across your family that don't know Christ. And as you pray for them, Jesus will give you his eyes, eyes to see their deepest spiritual needs and the opportunities he gives you. He will give you his heart. You'll begin to feel for them. 
a compulsion to pray for them, to care for them, to tell them about Jesus. And he'll give you the courage and the tenacity and the boldness when he calls you to go, to go. For you, which of those things would you most need tonight? Would you, most, would you need to see the way that Jesus sees? Would you most need to feel the way that Jesus feels? Or do you just need to say yes? Say, Jesus, I'm all in. I will go in the ways that you go. You're going to hear opportunities over the next few weeks of ways you can go. That could be a summer mission with crew, like Sarah and so many others in this room, Sadler, that have gone to Ocean City. It might be to another summer mission. It might be international to Slovakia or another summer mission with crew. That might be one of the places God's calling you to go. We want you to begin praying about those things. But it might be some other people in your life that God's calling you to go to. Get on your knees tonight and say, God, give me your eyes. Give me your heart. Give me your compulsion to go. Let me pray for us. God, I pray for us that as we look upon the world, you give us eyes to see into people's souls. Would you give us a heart of compassion that just breaks for those that don't know Christ, as many of us didn't know Christ and have come to know him. And Lord, would you give us that inner compulsion to go, whether it's across the room or across the country or even across the world, for a day or a few months or a year, would you be compel us because of the ways, Jesus, you went to the cross and are now raised and ascended as our Lord. Thanks to our listeners for tuning into this episode of the 180 Podcast, a production of Crew in Southeast Ohio. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like, a share, or leave an encouraging comment, and that will go a long way toward helping others hear about the podcast. The podcast isn't the only thing that we do. Whether you're a student living on campus or if you're still at home studying virtually, we'd encourage you to check us out on social media to hear more about what's going on. You can follow us on Instagram at crew at OU, or to learn more about who we are and what we do, head over to our website, crew at OU.org. We'd encourage you if you visit the site to complete our involvement form to get more connected to all the things that are happening. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next Thursday for another episode of the 180 Podcast.